The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories, along with our own insights from the work we are doing. Plus, we'll be talking to the organisations making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. It really kind of set off this community feeling of, hey, I'm not alone. There are plenty of us in this horrible, awful situation, but none of us are alone. And off the back of that, myself and another lady who I already knew was on her own IVF journey, decided to form a fertility, infertility support group. So we now have about 10 members of our support group and then a number of others, probably about 20 to 30 individuals who don't want to be part of an open support group, but who are buddied up with one of us in the support group for one-on-one support when they want it. So welcome to another episode of The F Word at Work. This is the penultimate episode of our first series. And as always, we really love to hear your feedback. So do subscribe. And if you haven't yet, let us know what you think. You can rate and review the podcast, or you can always just send us a message on our socials. We'll tell you what they are at the end of the episode. So do keep listening. I'm joined today by one of my two co-founders, Becky. How are we? Hello. Good, thank you. little bit tired it's been a busy month we described I think we might have said this in a previous podcast episode but described uh, March with our our coach as epic March and it has been one heck of a month for us we are all tired but we've made it to the end we're recording this for you just before the end of March because we'll be sharing this with you at the start of April um The last time we recorded, though, we were heading towards the Northern Power Women Awards because the episode came out the morning after the awards. We went, we got all glammed up. Hopefully you've seen pictures of us all scrubbed up looking pretty on our socials. We didn't win, did we? No, we didn't. But it was amazing to be there and to be amongst so many incredible people. And I thought we did a very, very good Gracious Loser face. (laughs) We did, which we shared on our socials. And one of the things that we were saying, because actually in our category, a organisation that supports period awareness and period poverty was highly commended. And we were convinced that the judges' heads were in this conversation, but that wasn't the case. But what was recognised was there was a lady doing amazing work around the menopause and she got an amazing kind of, I can't remember the award. Can you remember the award? No, we can't remember the award. We were saying that we still feel that maybe the menopause maybe fertility and conversations around fertility need to catch up that little bit more before the awards come because we're talking about it all the time aren't we but we're still even on LinkedIn the other day we saw quite a prolific account say nobody's talking about fertility in the workplace uh, to which we replied furiously to highlight that we are very much talking about fertility in the workplace but of course we were delighted to be there in the room and we've made and continue to keep making amazing connections with the Northern Power women but put it into perspective don't you think Becky that when we saw menopause recognised and we feel that you know we've been talking about menopause for a good five or so years now. I think so yeah I mean this is just the beginning of this conversation if you think even just a year ago it was just starting to make its way out there so there's still so much more to be done and I'm sure that one day we'll be back award-winning podcasters. 
The day after the Northern Power Women Awards, Becky and I jumped on a train to Reading, where we facilitated a brilliant conversation with a pharmaceutical company. Do you want to talk a bit more about that, Becky? Yeah, so this is something that we've just started doing and we actually really enjoyed it. So we, we, love were, being face we were face. asked to we do. I know there's something about the energy you get from being in the room with a group of people, but we were tasked with just trying to open up this conversation with a group of people who had voluntarily attended it's part of a program they're doing called a million conversations and they described it as an internal dialogue event and so we we kind of got people to start feeling a bit more comfortable to talk about their stories we used our stories we gave a bit of an overview of what this conversation's all about and it was amazing we were there for an hour and a half and you literally felt people just feel this safety and start to share some really really personal stuff but the energy was just incredible and hopefully they've gone away and they've told other people within the organization and it just goes to show that quote that I always say and I love from Anne Voskamp that shame dies when stories are shared in safe spaces and it is so true so we really want to do a few more of these. So if there's something we can facilitate for you, I think we, we said we could call them a fireside chat. Yeah. It's just a, a really informal way of opening up the conversation. But also what we did get from it is we got to hear what employees were wanting and what sort of topics they wanted to be covered and how they wanted to talk about this topic and what needs to be done in terms of policy. So it's a really good way as a focus group to, to really get to understand what your people are wanting yeah imagine the day where we are sat around a campfire hopefully on a beach somewhere hot something that we'd be happy to do if you're listening and that's something that you'd like to do too be more than happy to facilitate but on a more serious note we are going to be talking more about this type of conversation because as we continue with the different clients that we're working with and we're hearing the things that they're trying out and we're then witnessing what works and what doesn't, we can obviously share it with you listening to us here on the F Word at work because this is what we want. We want more of the F Word at work, whether it is virtual or whether it's in person. So keep listening as we share more of these examples. Now, the day after wedding and that conversation Becky and I having had a, a powered a power evening dinner over a wagamama's and writing even more furious notes we never quite switch off we then headed to London for the this can happen conference now I'm going to make sure there's a link to Zoe Sinclair's conversation which was the first one of this series in the show notes so do have a listen it's the first of four conferences that this can happen are going to be facilitating they used to have like one big main one maybe you've attended before Becky was hosting a panel conversation and did an amazing job it was at the end of a an afternoon that had been packed full of fascinating conversations about different areas affecting well-being in the workplace there was a conversation about gambling there was a conversation about psychosis conversations about different mental health issues that this can happen have been studying and they're releasing more findings on an index that they've they've developed and the fertility conversation was about four o'clock in the afternoon and you didn't have long did you and we had a jam-packed panel Yes, so 35 minutes to share three stories and, and really introduce this topic. But we've had so much amazing feedback since. Um, we brought in three people who we've worked with who have incredible stories and we just believe in bringing this issue to life through personal stories. And so we had Maria, who's the HR director at Selfridges, who has shared her personal story in the workplace and also the work that they're doing at Selfridges, which was amazing. Um, we also had Sean Greenaway, who 
is one of our speakers who we bring in to talk about the male experience. We've used him a number of times when we've been opening up this conversation within organisations. And then we also had Hannah, who is our podcast guest today. So I'm not going to say too much more about Hannah, but she is an inspirational woman from News UK who is using her story to support others, but I won't say any more just now. Well, Hannah is the third of our clients that we've shared because part of the F word at work, as well as us sharing thought leadership, is we want to share best practice from our clients. So, so far you've heard from Cadent Gas, and that was Kellyanne talking as an employee, how she's kind of led the work. And our last episode actually was with Selfridges and Joe Riddle from Selfridges talks about the work they had done. She talked about Maria, who was on the panel that Becky just described. And now we're going to be hearing, as Becky said, from Hannah from News UK, who again, is a it's an employee's voice talking about the work that she's done in her organization as a result of her own lived experience hannah has a challenging story so just as a trigger warning there is conversations here about loss and quite a lot of detail from hannah so i always like to say if this isn't where your head's quite at right now it doesn't maybe sound like the type of conversation you're ready for then come back in a future episode but I hope that if you are able to listen that you find her as inspiring as we do and we will be back with you after you've heard Hannah. Now before we get into this episode we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series Apricity which is next generation fertility and Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual model, so they have virtual consultations, and specifically their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey, so they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans, and individual patients, And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation, and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology, and unlimited support. Now, the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company, for either flexi benefit, cash allowance, or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. Hi everyone, I'm Hannah Spencer. I work at News UK and I'm currently the Head of Finance Transformation there. Now, I was really keen to get Hannah talking on the F word at work. Hannah was part of the panel we did with News UK in July in 2022. We're coming up to the year that we've been working with News UK and Hannah's been an integral part of the work that's been going on. And I want to talk about the work that's happening and also about that panel and and about your story, Hannah. So that's what's motivated you to be involved in this. It's been a tough story and as you said you hope you don't cry this time around we've had a couple of conversations and the harsh reality is that it's still really war isn't it it's still ongoing your journey yeah still ongoing nearing its end now so my story is one of seven years of infertility multiple IUI multiple IVF tries now 13 miscarriages and still no live birth so I don't have a happy ending at this point I'm now 35 so nearing the end of my journey we are not pursuing any further treatment so it's only miracle baby territory left for us which is a tough place to be in when you've been going for it doing everything you can for seven years 
And you've had such traumatic time along the way, to be frank, haven't you? I mean, when we spoke, as you said, you know, you nearly died from an ectopic pregnancy and all of this whilst you've been in the workplace. And I just want to talk a bit about what that's been like in terms of, you know, the impact on your job. Really tough to balance some days. And I think when you're actively going through treatment, it's not just a case of nipping to the doctor and that's it. You're pumping your body full of hormones, first and foremost, so you don't really feel like yourself at work. You're definitely not your best self at work. And then beyond that, it's then the constant cycle of hope and disappointment. Every time that you start on a cycle, you're filled with hope, you're happy, you go for it. And then for me, every single time it didn't work was a form of grief because every time you go through the cycle and it's not successful, the grief that hits you is one of loss, yes, if you've had a miscarriage, but also one of loss if nothing happens at all, because every time you picture the life that you might have, you picture what it might look like if it's successful and you lose that. And that is a form of grief over and over again, which you bring into work with you every day. So constantly being on an emotional and a physical roller coaster through treatment is hard to balance with work day in, day out. And you're pretty senior in your role, aren't you? At what point did you start the conversation? Because sometimes we hear that people do it when they're maybe feeling more confident because they're maybe in a more senior position. Where was it that you first talked about what was going on? It's a really interesting question, actually, because until you said that, I hadn't really thought about it. But yes, I shared it when I got to a more senior position. That's true. So I did probably three or four years where I didn't talk about it with anybody. I didn't tell work that I was going through it. And then it was as I moved more senior, although at the time it was more when my treatment got more serious. So because it had just been going on so long and I was needing quite a lot of time to go to appointments that's when I then shared it so I'm very lucky that I think my boss would have been open to it whenever I chose to share it I mean I have a great relationship with him and he's been nothing but supportive but yes I did share it as I got more senior that's true do you think what was going on impacted your choices in terms of opportunities that were coming your way Not for me personally, but I do think it would impact a lot of people going through this. So Mm. I think there's a number of facets to this. So one thing I think fertility treatment does indiscriminately is damage confidence. It shouldn't, but it does. So I think there's that element to it. You just don't quite feel like yourself. You just feel a bit useless when it's not working, right? You know, obviously that's not the right way to feel. That's not a reflection of what's happening, but it's how it feels inside that you're a bit useless. So you lose a bit of confidence. Yeah. And then it's also that I'm sure like anyone listening, you want to do a great job, right? And you want to be brilliant and you want to be like top grade, wonderful talent. And when you're going through IVF, you question whether you're able to be that. And I think that can influence your decision as to whether you go for a promotion or whether you offer to take on extra responsibility because you kind of talk yourself into, oh, I can't do that because I'm doing X, Y and Z. And oh, well, what if I'm not there and I need treatment on that day and I can't be there for that important meeting or that important thing? And I think you can talk yourself out of it. So for me, there were those elements that made me question myself. I was lucky that probably I was in a team and an environment that was really encouraging of me and had a boss who really encouraged me. And so anytime I had those negative self thoughts, I had someone else telling me positive things, which kind of balanced it out and meant I did go for opportunities that came my way. And I did feel confident and capable of doing that. I can very easily see why people wouldn't. 
And it's so good to hear, you know, what you've just described, but it shouldn't be luck, should it? No, it shouldn't be. And actually my capability is no different, right? I'm going through fertility treatment for a medical disease, just in the same way that somebody is no less or more capable from having any type of disease. It's the same thing, but it's your internal mind which says, oh, maybe not, I think. Well, because we weren't really taught about this growing up, were we? We were taught that having a family was much more straightforward than what the experience presents itself as. Just cast your mind back to last July and that panel. And you had written a blog around your experience before coming on the panel. So would you say there was some awareness from your colleagues, like quite wide reaching about you as somebody that had been sharing this already at the point that we did that panel? Yeah, so I didn't really share anything of my journey until I had my ruptured eptopic more widely than my immediate boss. But when my eptopic ruptured, I had to have three and a half months off work because I was literally given a 30% chance of death. I lost 40% 40 of my body's blood. I nearly internally bled out and I had to have a series of operations to ensure that I survived. And at that moment where you're faced with your own mortality, it is truly terrifying. And I don't think anyone sets off to have a baby and ends up with, I'm glad that I'm alive. That's not really the conclusion that you want out of that. And it so deeply affected me that I felt like anyone struggling with any element of this should be able to talk about it at work and should know that other people at work are going through this. And so, yes, I made the choice to speak about it much more widely at that point when I returned from work after my ruptured ectopic. Part of that was also because it was probably the end of my journey. So I wasn't saying that I'm going through treatment anymore. It was, this is my story, which is also, I felt slightly easier. Yeah, there's that slight bit of distance, isn't there, that it starts to become a part of the acceptance process, which doesn't make it any easier, but it's that next stage, isn't it? Exactly. And I think that's a really good word is acceptance. I wasn't ready to talk about it fully and widely until I'd got myself to a point of acceptance. So I can see why a lot of people who are still in the journey, on the journey, going through treatment, wouldn't want to talk openly and widely about it. And that's the reality of it is that people aren't willing to disclose. And so that's why we hope to encourage the shift in this awareness raising around the conversation. And the panel that you were part of was such an amazing panel for so many different ways. Obviously, your story itself is just remarkable and you were so honest and open about it. But can you just explain a bit about your colleagues that also shared? Because I think that was, I think, quite eye opening for people watching. Yeah, definitely. So we wanted to make sure we had male voices heard as well. So Dom Carter, who's one of our senior exec members, also spoke on the panel. So he spoke from the male perspective about his wife going through treatment. They went through IUI and IVF treatment and then also conceived naturally. So they now have three healthy children. Quite a time ago, though, wasn't it? It was about... Yeah, I think it was sort of 15, 20 yeah, years ago. when this yeah. wasn't spoken about at all. And I don't think he knew any men the, to talk about and was very keen to talk, wasn't he? He was, definitely. And actually, I don't think he'd spoken widely about it. I certainly didn't know that he'd had that experience before the panel. And likewise, he didn't know my story either before the panel. So I think both of us were hit by each other's stories and being able to share those was really powerful, hopefully for people listening, but also for us listening to each other on the panel. So, so Dom spoke and we also obviously had fertility matters at work speaking as well through their experiences and we had some Sean as well 
when he was talking about his journey too. Yeah, we're really keen to kind of put that emphasis on the male side for your panel as well as giving your experience. We're always trying to show different perspectives because the experiences people have are so vast. Mm -hmm. What was the feedback after that panel and what's been happening since? So it was overwhelmingly positive. I had so many people reach out with messages of empathy and support to my personal story. And then I also had a lot of people reach out to share their stories. So it was really impactful for me because, as examples, people reached out to share that they'd miscarried in the work toilets or that they were on their own IVF journey or that they were too terrified to tell their own manager that they were having treatment at the moment. A few of them spoke to me about the grief that they were feeling from failed cycles. And it really kind of set off this community feeling of, hey, I'm not alone. There are plenty of us in this horrible, awful situation, but none of us are alone. And off the back of that, myself and another lady who I already knew was on her own IVF journey decided to form a fertility, infertility support group. So we now have about 10 members of our support group and then a number of others, probably about 20 to 30 individuals who don't want to be part of an open support group, but who are buddied up with one of us in the support group for one-on-one support when they want it. So we've gone from probably a community of one, being me open and talking about it, to a community that includes men and women across the business that is now numbered, I would say, about 30 to 40 in total. And that is exactly the point of why we like to start working with organisations with the panel discussion, because it does create that kind of domino effect. And the peer support that you've just described is a key part of that fertility friendly accreditation. And it's also, like you say, important to highlight that it doesn't have to be if people are involved, that they are openly involved. It's just knowing where to go to get support. And if they need to ask the odd question or if they want to sit quietly and just observe, it's that as well. I think it's also important to ensure that all of those involved, if the conversations are around what we've talked about in terms of grief and the trauma associated, that then there's that next step of support that's clear. And I know that as this kind of working group, you've been also kind of putting your ideas down for the development of a policy to then hand over to HR. So just talk with me a bit more about the proactive side of what you've been doing with the group. Yeah, so one of the things that really came to the fore in our conversations as a group is that some of us, like me, feel like we have a line manager that we can talk to and they would never say no to time off. And actually, probably all of us felt like our line manager, if they knew what we were going through, would approve time to have treatment if we needed it. You know, we didn't feel like there was anyone who was going to say no to that. But there was a lot of anxiety about asking and talking about it in the first place. It's not an easy topic to talk about. And so we felt really passionate about just creating a space where it's clear that News UK as an employer is okay with it if you want to talk about these things. And you have a bit of protection there to do that, you know, because I think a lot of people also don't like saying to their boss, I'm trying for a baby and I might be going on maternity leave if this works, right? right? When you're trying naturally and you don't have any problems, you don't tell your boss, I'm going to go and sleep with my husband or partner or whatever tonight do you so it's quite a personal and difficult thing to to talk about you feel a bit of worry that that might impact your career or whatever it might be so we felt like putting a protection in terms of a formal policy is also really important for us so that isn't finalized yet but like you say we're working alongside HR to really firm that up get ourselves in a place where we have something that provides that safe space formally at News. 
from a manager's point of view, ensuring that they know where to go and that there's more of a consistent approach, isn't it? Whilst everybody's experience is so different and we always talk about letting the person lead. If a manager knows that there's something that they can actually just refer to, to just get their head around what this person's coming to them with, because we don't expect to be fixed. We can't be fixed, can we? We just want some kind of guidance as to what we could look to have and that understanding if we need the flexibility because like you couldn't have predicted how your treatment panned out and what happened to you could you and as the next person can't either exactly and I think it's like we're not expecting managers to be fertility counsellors of course we're not it's just about signposting them to the right resources so like knowing that we have fertility matters at work knowing that we have our EAP kind of employee support program knowing to signpost those things to somebody if they raise this and also as a manager if I didn't know what fertility treatment was and one of my employees was going through it having the resources there to also educate myself to say this is what IVF actually means this is why I can't give you exact dates when I might need an hour or two out of the office or these are the potential outcomes with my treatment and they could be positive or they could be negative and you know really upsetting so I think just signposting and enabling managers to know where to go and to know how best to support the employee is really important. And what would you say to anyone listening who's been thinking about this and there's more and more conversations happening in the mainstream media as well as in kind of the well-being specific DNI and HR trade press who might be thinking okay it's another thing that I'm trying to get my head around and where do I start and how best can I ensure that I do this right because we know that there can be a fear from the manager's point of view of maybe doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing and there's so much to take on board with the well-being agenda but what would your thoughts be for anybody listening about what you've happen in the last or it's coming up to a year listen the best thing that anyone can do who doesn't really know where to start who is either a manager or someone looking at trying to understand fertility better has someone in their team going through it listening is the best thing you can do for me the hardest conversations are when someone does try to fix so I have forever heard oh but my best friend's brother's wife's third cousin five times removed had 19 rounds of IVF and it worked on the 20th round or oh yeah me and my friend's wife's ex or, you know, some ludicrous connection. They had given up. They'd done all their IVFs. It failed. And then when she was 49, she conceived naturally. Once she'd relaxed. Once she'd relaxed. Let me just stab a pencil in your eye. Um, (laughs) So, no, it's not fixing because for me, it was really unhelpful to hear those stories. It, for me, it felt like it was minimizing what I was going through and trying to say, oh, well, it'll be fine. Because actually, IVF success rates are low. When you're under 35 and perfectly healthy, your success rate is about 30%. That means 70% of people's cycles fail. And that's in a healthy under 35 population. By the time you're up to 40, 90% of cycles can fail. And therefore, hearing sometimes toxic positivity for me is the worst thing. And really just listening, empathizing, asking if that person needs support, saying that you're there to listen. That is the best thing anyone can do when they're dealing with someone going through infertility. So well, Hannah, and I thank you so much for doing that. And I just want to add as well, from your point of view, because obviously every time you're talking about this kind of thing, you're reliving it. And there's times where you don't want to be reliving it because it's not all of who you are. It's a part of who you are. It changes who you are, but it's not your everything. 
if people are listening and they're thinking about maybe joining a kind of peer support element within their organization, but they're nervous about how it makes them feel, what would your thoughts be on that? Because we're always very keen to say that it's not mandatory for people to be these kind of fertility advocates or these fertility champions, and that there does need to be that real element of care and emotional support made very clear to those people, because there might be days where it's the last thing that you want to be talking about. What are your thoughts on that? That is also a a really good question because I've been really open with my journey and was perhaps one of the first to be so at news. And there are days where that doesn't feel like a safe space to be. There are days when my boundaries have to be put in place where I'm just not able to give myself to someone who wants to talk about their journey. I supported somebody who went through a really bad journey and then has just had a baby. And whilst I'm absolutely happy for them, there were also days where it was quite hard to spend a lot of time talking about the successful journey, not through any detriment to her happiness, or but just some days when I was sad, it wasn't a positive place for me to sit. So I think talking to anyone about it, I think it's just making sure that they're comfortable with their own boundaries And it's okay to be a fertility advocate for four days out of five and for one day out of five to need to protect yourself from it. So just being really honest about what those boundaries are. Exactly. And if you decide to do it and then decide you don't want to do it as well, I think you just have to be prepared to be caught off guard at any point with this, retelling it, reliving it. And so like you say, I think that's such a good point about putting your boundaries in place. And some days that I can talk about it, and like today, I'm completely fine. And actually, from an emotional perspective, I'm not feeling any heightened emotion or anything like that. But there are other days where I can have this exact same conversation and I'll be in tears at the end of it. And that is infertility. That is the grieving process there are some good days and there are some bad days thankfully the good outweigh the bad but there are still those bad days and it's being cognizant of that as well Hannah thank you so much for talking to me once again and for all the time that you and your colleagues have put in to ensure that this conversation continues at News UK and I know that you're speaking on another panel for us which is brilliant because that's going to be an amazing event I'll put details of where Hannah's going to be speaking in the show notes because it's a mental health in the workplace event that we have asked her to come and join a panel with us so thank you for just continuing to talk so I'll put the details of the event that Hannah is speaking at it's the this can happen conference in London I'll put a link in the show notes because it's really worth you knowing about I think the workplace well-being events and conversations that are ongoing and that they are bringing fertility onto their agenda like we saw happen with mental health during the pandemic and like we've seen happen with menopause fertility is being brought to the top of the list well being higher up the list which is a good thing from our point of view and I hope that you've found what Hannah said useful and insightful and it's given you lots of food for thought Hannah thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure as always. So Hannah is so open and honest about her journey and we asked her to join us on the This Can Happen panel that we referred to at the at the start of the episode because we'd, we'd heard her story when we, we did the panel event with News UK and then I'd recorded this podcast conversation with her and we knew that it was just so compelling and before we did the panel This Can Happen we we all chatted with her just to make sure we're always very aware when we are inviting people to share their stories how vulnerable it makes a person whether your journey finished years ago or whether you're still in the midst of it and we're always we have that real duty of care as an organization to make sure the people that are sharing with us feel as if they're okay and it was something that Hannah had said she she was fine with and we chatted before and then just describe a bit 
about what happened during the panel because she does go into detail as as you heard and and she has every right to because it, it's just it unbelievable to hear how much she's been through isn't it yeah I think the impact that Hannah has in in telling her story is, is so great and she did get quite emotional just before we went on the panel and also during and I think in some ways that really shows the depth of the impact that this can have and I just have so much admiration for her because I've shared my story and the challenges that I've had I've done it after the event and and I do have children now through egg donation and I just think it it takes a really special person to be able to talk about that when everything is still so raw and as she puts it she didn't get her happy ending and so she is now navigating a different life to what she expected um, and she's actually using her experience to help others feel less alone but she's also supporting people in the workplace who who are then going on to get pregnant and, yeah. and that's also really difficult and so I, yeah I just I almost don't have the words to describe how much I admire what Hannah has done and what she actually talked about in the This Can Happen conference was so educational in terms of the the comments that have been made to her and how that made her feel and you could almost see people in their seats almost looking a bit uncomfortable thinking I've done that. I might have said that to yeah. somebody at some stage um but that's where the impact is that's where people go away and they reflect and then they maybe tell somebody else or they adjust what they will do and that's the importance of these conversations and the way that we kind of encourage them for you within your organization if that's where you're listening from is that this forms the internal support and that peer support and one of the things that we're also looking into doing is having conversations with those people within your organization who might be taking on that role of fertility champion or leading those peer supports to ensure that they feel supported like we just described with Hannah who's talked about how she's been supporting people who inevitably are having success in their fertility treatment and how that makes her feel and what we want to ensure with with you if you are looking at what those internal networks look like is that you feel confident that those people that are taking on those roles feel supported as well so it's an example of how we're listening and we're learning as well as an organisation in terms of the support that we offer, because what we're going to be doing in the next um, month or so is creating a resource, a workshop with our perinatal psychologist, psychological advisor, Julianne Boutaleb, to support internal advocates, because what we don't want to do is put people in a position where these conversations, whether you've been through it years ago or you're still going through it, can be really triggering. And there is a huge link to mental health. And so it's really important that if people are volunteering for these roles, we're putting people in these informal peer-to-peer support roles, that they too have an understanding of how to protect themselves, when to know to seek support, and also to know that it's not their job to fix it for those people internally it's a support role and so that's something else we've we've thought actually there's a missing piece here let's build that into our membership resource and so we are adding to this all the time we're always hearing feedback with it's giving us new ideas and different ways in which we can support people so ultimately if you're thinking that's exactly what we need, then this is all part of working with us here at Fertility Matters at Work. So do get in touch. There'll be details in the show notes of how you can book in a call with us. All our socials are going to come up next for you. We'd love it if you can subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. We've got one episode left of this series. We're going to be sharing more thought leadership in the next series, more examples of best practice, and ultimately our F Word at Work conversations, which are our brilliant community members 
talking about their experiences in the workplace because as we've been saying all along we just truly believe in the power of story sharing for you to really understand how this issue impacts people so thank you so much for listening and we look forward to you catching up with us next time do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events that we have, as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community. We're at Fert Matters Work on Twitter. Plus, we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com. If from what we've shared with you, you feel ready to talk more about how your organisation can become fertility friendly, do book a call via the website link. It will be great to hear from you. 